Hi, friends. Welcome to Race to Rise podcast, a place where we discuss bite-sized wisdom nuggets with easy-to-follow practices to live a better life. I am your host, Mithal Patel, a parenting junkie, Ayurveda enthusiast, and an advocate of conscious living. As the first month of the year is settling down, we've all seen a number of goals floating around the internet world. And one of those goals is about our eating habits. Now, how many of you are so concerned and curious about your eating habits and how we look and what's our ideal weight and, you know, the weight management and the body shame and how we make peace with our food and redefine our health. So that is what we are going to talk about. We are bringing, we're going to have a conversation today with Jennifer D'Amato, who is an intuitive eating counselor and a coach. She specializes in helping women, specifically women, reconnect with their bodies and making peace with the food and redefine this whole physical health so she can walk away from the diet culture and embrace all the life she has to offer. And this is why I was so excited to bring Jennifer because she not only takes us away from the diet culture, but also helps us embrace our body, embrace our food, and look at what's in our plate. Instead of feeling guilty about it, embrace what it is. And we also touch points upon quote unquote picky eaters. I don't like to label kids as picky eaters. So you will see the reframe that we're sharing in this in our conversation. So please welcome the intuitive eating mama podcast host who is married to her husband for over 21 years. She is a mom to four brilliant intuitive eating daughters. And when she has downtime, you can find her hanging out with her daughters or cooking up something yummy in her kitchen. So let's welcome Jennifer D'Amato, our intuitive eating counselor and a podcaster. Jennifer, thank you so much for, you know, for giving us opportunity to hear your wisdom and learn from you. And we're just so honored to have you with us because today's topic, like, like I mentioned earlier, is going to be mind-blowing because we really need it. Specifically, I want to say parents really need it. I mean, everyone needs it, but I believe that, you know, our kids are watching. We're the role models for, we're the first role models for our kids. Like we were talking about right before recording our conversation, we were talking about, you know, leadership in parenting and how our kids are watching us. So today is going to be a mind-blowing episode. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. We can't wait to hear your gems. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love your podcast. I love your content. I love your message and what you're doing in the world for parenting. So I am so excited to dive into our conversation. I am excited. And without taking it further ado, first thing I really want to know, Jennifer, like like I said, you know, I love what you do. It was a very unique message that I get from you. Intuitive eating coach. Like, What is intuitive eating? Like we all talk about, you know, intuition, but when it comes to food and intuition, how do you define, like I would love to hear, tell us more about it. 
Yeah. So intuitive eating is a self-care framework and it does have 10 principles, you know, that we walk through. But the best way I can describe it, especially because I know you have a lot of parents listening, is if you had a toddler around and you watch them with food and how they move their body, that's intuitive eating. Before any messages have ever gotten in the way, in the very simplistic of, you know, when those toddlers are hungry, they're asking for food. They don't worry about the content, what it is. They have preferences and they want them to be honored. When they're done, they are done. And I always say, like, done enough to have energy to go trash your house, right? Like, they don't, they don't stress about it because for them, there's not all these rules around food, right? So over time, diet culture, other influences, parental influences for sure, impact how we see ourselves as it relates to food, how we see our body as it relates to food. So intuitive eating really brings you back to how your body was meant to be before all those messages got in the way. Wow. You know, I, I must say like how you're, you're giving us analogy of, you know, toddler eating the food and just, you know, they don't think about anything else. Like, like literally, I'm going to say an hour ago, I was, my husband called, they're out and He's saying, you know, every hour he's asking for the little guy is asking for food. And I said, well, okay, he must be, you know, he must be hungry. He's in charge of his body. He knows. Because as adults, we subscribed to this idea of like, you know, there's a lunch, there's, you know, there's breakfast, there's lunch, there's snack, there's dinner, and that that's it. There's nothing, you know, and I understand that, you know, we want to follow the structure. We, we all, but then we also subscribe to the idea of diet and guilt. And so that's what it's kind of like, like how you're saying, getting, you know, getting in the way. And so I love what you mentioned, like eat like a toddler. Eat like a toddler. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you have to wear your food all over your face. I mean, hello. Um, however, the toddler is not questioning every food choice. The toddler is not questioning food cravings or that some days your body needs more than other days. Like think about how often we stress as adults if our body seems to need more. Now, we're so consumed with thoughts about food. Kids don't until, again, those messages come in and they do start questioning themselves. But they don't think about food until they need food. And then when they're done, they don't think about food again until they need food again. And so what, what I do working with women is helping them get back to that point. And that's usually like one of those first I can't believe this is happening things because they didn't even realize how often they were thinking about food until they're not. That's so many of their thoughts all day long. And again, this is even after leaving diet culture, because what does dieting do? It is like an obsession, even if you're not feeling obsessed, but it really is borderlining on obsessive thoughts about food because you're constantly, can I have this? Should I have this? Well, then if I have this, then I feel guilty. I feel shame. And then we're speaking these things out loud. You know, we're talking about this role as, as leader in our home, right? And we're speaking these things out into existence, which can have our kids internalizing those messages. And I think that's the part, you know, that I think is important to touch on when we think about, the, you know, parenting and relationship with food and all of that. I hear from parents like, my kids have heard it, but I haven't heard it back from them yet. You know, maybe they're really young. 
And then I work with the women who said, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it when I was a kid. But how many of those messages have become part of how they view themselves and food because they've internalized all of those messages when they were young? And I'm not here to like shame parents. I was that parent. I was totally that parent doing that. And I noticed it was having a negative impact. I noticed it was starting to shape and form how my kids saw food. It was one of my wake-up calls to go, this is not what I want to pass on. This is not the legacy I want to leave is my kids watching their mom, you know, dieting and constantly thinking and talking about food in my body. Like, I don't want to pass that on. Yeah, no, I love that. I want to piggyback on the on the point what you said, they internalize, because I truly believe that our, you know, our words become their inner world. And so what we talk about food, you know, how we look at food or because subconsciously, consciously, how whatever we want to call it, we are verbalizing it, you know, out loud and they hear us and forget about words. Our kids can sense our energy more than our words and actions, right? So if we're feeling guilty and if we're eating the, you know, the choice of food with guilt, we're also sharing the guilt energy with them absorbing with us. I mean, it's a shift in our whole like physical home, right? There's, there, there is something happening in there and it becomes a norm. That's when it's scary too, right? Like it's such a norm. You don't recognize it until something makes you go, wait a minute, this isn't normal. Like this isn't how it just always is. I, I should tell, you know, when, when we start questioning these hidden rules, and that's what I like to call out, like these hidden rules. I mean, even a simple one, like clear your plate. You need to eat everything on your plate. I mean, how many of us grew up with that message? You have to eat everything on your plate. I can still hear my mother in my head telling me I couldn't get up from the table. It was, okay, don't laugh. Okay, laugh if you want to. It was tortellini. Do you know what tortellini is? It's, it, I mean, it's, it's like less than ravioli. Ravioli, I mean, I'm here for, but the tortellini, for some reason, I couldn't get on board. And I sat there for hours and it was this, I mean, talk about forming your relationship with food and then internalizing this message that you can't do anything till that food is gone. Those things stuck with me, again, without question until I started questioning it. And then it was like a domino effect. I just started questioning everything. And what I realized is everything external had been defining food for me, eating like exercise, my body, like everything external. So when we start kind of peeling that back, it's it can be a lot to take in, you know, going through that process of starting to unpack those messages that have become that internal dialogue. No, I totally agree. I love that, you know, unconsciously, unintentionally, because that's what we learn from society and from, you know, what's been passing on from generation to generation. And so the whole message is, you know, you're not getting up without finishing that food. It just happens. It doesn't matter how conscious of a parent you are right now, too. It's sometime, you know, maybe back in the day, it happened. And so I am also, you know, I've also been through that. I've said it um, in the beginning of, you know, my new, as a new mom. And now it has been, you know, it's a switch. And so for the parents who are listening to us, because 
I know Jen and me were both like we kind of had conversation before this and we both have like the same bandwidth and same vocabulary as in telling our kids that when our kids are saying that I'm done, it's like, okay, I believe you. You know, you are inside your body. You know better than I do. And so, like you said earlier, you know, some days you want to eat more and some days you want to eat less. And so the child knows better what they want. And so I think it just, you know, we need to unlearn what we've learned so far with the relationship, you know, with food and, you know, just just even guiding kids with that and relearn what you're talking about, you know, teaching them how to eat intuitively. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to do that work right on with your kids if you have not done that work on yourself, which is what I heard you say. Like you had to have those ahas, those peel back the dominoes right off like everything happening for you. It's it's that same thing they say on the the airlines. You know, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first. I mean, it applies everywhere. And it really does apply here that you literally need to breathe with more ease around food before you can help anyone else. But I get that it's hard. You know, I get that it feels difficult because you haven't known any other way. But imagine if your kids never question themselves around food. Like they always trusted. I always envision like, what would that have been like if I never had questioned myself? Like, wait a minute, I thought I was done. I'm not. Like you'll have to keep eating or, you know, I feel, you know, I feel like I'm still hungry and then I'm shamed, you know, and feeling guilty for wanting more. What if I never had those messages in the first place? Like it always like, like this is what I'm I'm hoping that I'm imparting on my children now, that they are intuitive eaters. I still feel like I learned from them now, even though, you know, I'm the one who brought that into our space. They are constantly teaching me because they have, of course, less years with those messages, right? They, they didn't hear that as long as I did. Love that. No, I, I really appreciate that, you know, you're bringing that point because hearing us and a lot of parents might be like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad that I've been doing it. But We've been there too. Yeah. How would you ever know? How would you ever know? And even if you just say one thing, one thing you do is when they say they're done, they're done. And you say, you, I mean, if you want to add in like words like, I believe you, you're the expert on you, you trust your body, and you want to add that in, great. Like it's another layer of affirming for them. But even if all you do is when they're done, they're done. And even when they come back and want more, you don't question that because the reality is they're undoing maybe some of that, right? Where They're not sure if they can trust their body depending on how long that's been going on. So again, if you just, okay, well, there's X, Y, and Z available, you know, in the fridge, and, you know, you can have that. And, and I always used to have something there. They knew they could come grab I don't, it was usually a cheese stick when they were little, cheese sticks and, and carrot sticks when they were little, for whatever reason, protein, something crunchy and crispy, you know, for them. There was always, you know, usually some crackers in the pantry as well. They would grab something if they were hungry later, without question, without doubting. And now when I watch them, it's amazing to me because there's not a doubt. There's not, well, should I? Can I? Am I? There's no, am I allowed to? They trust themselves. Again, I just, I don't know, maybe I look at them with a little bit of jealousy. 
Like, I wish that had been my way. I mean, I, I questioned my food choices since I was a teenager, right? Like, that's a long time to go, you know, into adulthood to question your own food choices. Of course, you're going to project some of that. You know, that's going to happen. I think even if you can let go of any shame or guilt you might feel for having done that as the parent and remind yourself, like, I don't know any other way, but now I've listened and I'm going, wait a minute, there's another way. There's a whole other way to be, you know? So again, I just want to encourage that you, you don't know till you, you know, and it's hard to impart those things when you haven't unpacked your right. own stuff. For sure. I remember my coach um, always tells me, when we know better, we do better. Do better. <laughs> and so, you know, thanks to humans like you who, are, who is sharing. I mean, to be honest, I had no idea that there is such thing called intuitive eating. And so I really would like to, like earlier you mentioned about the 10 principles. What are your three favorite or most important, if you want to say principles that, you know, we can try as a, you know, step one? What would you say? Ooh. Okay, well, my favorite and step ones are probably different, but let's just say step one is reject diet mentality. The first, I mean, it's you can't really do anything else when it comes to intuitive eating if you're still really just embracing dieting and diet culture's message about how a body should look, what your weight should be. You know, I, I really actually address this very clearly in the work with the women I do and point out the flaws and misinformation and problems with the BMI, that it is the worst gauge of health. It's actually not. It was never meant to be an individual gauge of health anyway, but I won't get deep into that. So if I'd say the number one is rejecting diet mentality and keeping in mind the only reason we call it intuitive eating is because dieting exists, because it's just eating. Like when you really get down to the nitty gritty, it's just eating. But I have to say, if I had to pick like a favorite principle, it's making peace with food, with all food. And what that means is that you've taken out the emotional value on any food. There's no good and bad. And some of my clients, like they have to remove words like healthy and unhealthy. We can talk about nutritional value and nutritional content, but that's different. We actually have to take out the judgment of food, good and bad. And that to me, that was the game changer, you know, for me personally, because all of a sudden food became neutral. And when food is neutral, it doesn't have power over you anymore. You're the one actually in control. Love that. Love that. Anything or any new changes we want to make or we're learning something, there's always a mindset shift. And so that diet culture, because we're so wired that's what we're, you know, we're hearing on a regular basis. Why do you exercise? Oh, so I can, you know, maintain my weight. Why do you do this? It's so that I can, you know, somehow it's always connected to the scale, to the number. And it has become a number game. I'm so glad that that is like a first piece that, you know, step one. And you, you mentioned about, you know, differentiating healthy and unhealthy. And I... I will confess that at one point when I got into like, you know, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, whatnot, I obsessed so much over what's healthy. And so I've been there 
And, you know, that like what you're saying, making peace with it, it's so important. Like, fine, like I understand. But instead of calling it unhealthy or instead of calling it, you know, something that's not suitable, call it as a fun food. And so in our home, because we went to like, you know, no dairy and, you know, vegan and stuff. So we had like certain food that we were like, okay, we're not going to eat anymore and whatnot. We also follow Ayurveda. So like, you know, warm, nourishing food and whatnot. And so there was a whole category of unhealthy, quote unquote, unhealthy food in my house. And I was so obsessed about it. And when I spoke with my health coach, she's like, you got to take the guilt out of it and treat it as a fun food. You can, you can, you know, binge on your fun food once in a while, as long as you know how that makes your body feel. So like how you, how we said, you know, earlier, we're in charge of our body. So we need to know if I eat this, what happens? And let me know my own limits, right? So I really love that you mentioned the whole two categories and, you know, making it neutral. So now that doesn't have, you know, it's not overpowering you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and so body. we don't use fun food. I like that. I call it play food. So this is a wonderful concept because if, you, especially if you're going to explain this to kids, and this is something I do work with a lot of moms and they want to make changes in their home. Kids understand play. So you can relate that to, you know, we spend a lot of time learning, right? Even if you just look at their school day, if you just want to give them that example and you spend time, you know, learning, you know, that's, you know, your high nutrient value foods, right? (laughs) That are, that are really, really great, make your body feel wonderful. But what kind of day is it if you have no recess, if there's no play? But if there's no play in your life at all, and maybe, I mean, we could talk Obviously, that's a much bigger issue when we're talking about adults that are you incorporating play because maybe the only play you have is with your food and then you're feeling bad for incorporating play, but it's because there's other areas of your life that are lacking. I mean, that's all, again, that's another topic, but (laughs) if you want to explain this, even for your own brain and explaining it to kids is play food has a place. I mean, all food has a place, but when when we look at it and we say we need both, we need to learn, right? We need our education time and we need our recess. Yeah, we need both. And if you, again, I don't get into percentages and how much work you need and how much play. I'm just saying we need play and we need fun food. You know, again, when you take out the emotional value and all food has an equal playing field emotionally, what happens is in our brain, that restriction is lifted because what causes that overconsumption is the restriction. And of course, diets aren't going to tell you that part, but that's literally what happens in your brain is when you know something is off limits, what do you think about? What do you want? What do you obsess about? You know, when you get it in front of you and you haven't had it for months and months and months, all of a sudden you feel out of control. It's the restriction, even in your thoughts, I shouldn't be having this, causes the overconsumption. Okay, I need to pause and I need to like, that was so good. Like, you know, the restriction, the shoulds, you know, how the shoulds play out in our life. It's, we don't realize it. They overpower that, okay, I can't do this. And you know, I should be doing this. I should be eating it this way. I'm glad that you mentioned like your restrictions is what makes you indulge, makes you do more. You know, that's where it goes on an extreme level. Now, 
One question that I always wanted to ask you, society has taught us to label our kids as picky eaters. Now, everyone who's listening to us, they might be like, okay, Jennifer and Mattel, I hear you guys on intuitive eating, but then what if the child only wants to eat A, B, or C? And so, you know, they're picky eaters. So what do you have to say to those parents? <laughs> yeah, any labels for our kids are no good usually, right? Like being labeled a picky eater, man, you carry that. You carry that. So first and foremost, I don't think they're picky. I think they're actually extremely intuitive. I have four daughters, so I've been through quite a variety in those four of eating and eating patterns. And what I learned was they have their own preferences and they go through changes. There's things they like, you know, that now they don't eat. And then there's things that they wouldn't eat before they eat now. I did have one child and this is, I mean, it still blows my mind. One child where all she ate for protein was hot dogs. She would not touch anything. And that was like a year. I seriously was starting to question if she was okay, but she just was did not want anything else. Didn't label her a picky eater, was just like, okay. I had another child who dipped her broccoli in ketchup. Oh, but could, that was the only way she could eat it. So what I learned was they weren't picky. They really were exploring or limiting based on what they believed, you know, their body didn't like. Now, we did a lot of different things where it was always available, where you could try it. I didn't really try to put a lot of pressure, like the one bite. I know some families do have those rules of, you know, the one try it bite. And we did that. But what I did was exposure therapy. <laughs> really, I just kept putting the food there. I just kept having it. It was always available. I never like catered you know, and had multiple meals being made. There was always things available to eat. Sometimes it was cereal. That's what they ate because they didn't enjoy the meal that I made, but I never put the label of picky. What I tried to do was just acknowledge their intuition. You know, as adults, we want our palate honored. Like if you put sauerkraut and mustard in front of me, listen, I don't want to be in the room. I don't want it near me. Like if somebody tries to put that near my meal, like, please, my husband, these are things he loves. So I'm like, get it out of my space. I just don't like it at all. I have a preference, right? There's things I know I don't like. What if, what if those kiddos know they don't like something? What if they're not picky, but they just really trust, I don't want that. And sometimes it's a phase. What I see happen is they do go through phases, the hot dog phase, the broccoli ketchup phase, and then it ends. When we don't highlight it, and put the pressure and insert guilt, sometimes those things just kind of work their way out. I mean, my oldest now, when I watch, she eats just about anything, and she would have been labeled a picky eater for at least a couple years of her life. And she's totally not, right? She, and again, I'm so glad they didn't take that route. But again, what if you spin it? What if you start using, again, some different language? Yeah, like you must really know your palate you know, what your taste buds, you know, talk to kids in kids term, like your taste buds like certain things and even notice like what kind of things do they like? What flavors? I just had a, um, a client of mine in our group where she had always said, you know, he's a picky eater. He's a picky eater. He's a picky eater. And she just didn't know what to do. And we talked about this of really just backing off completely. 
I think she had stopped calling him a picky eater and using the language, but really said, no, bud, it's okay. You don't have to have that. And the kid was floored. I think he's he's either nine or 10, somewhere, maybe, maybe nine to 11. And he was like, what? I'm what? I don't have to eat it. She's like, no. What's happened? And it again, I'm not saying this is everyone. Over the course of about four weeks, he tried two new foods because the pressure, it was gone. It was gone. And it wasn't, you know, sometimes our kids really just prove to us again and again that body autonomy is a real human thing. And they sometimes just want to exercise their autonomy like I know what's best for me. And sometimes they do it at three years old, five years old, 15 years old. They just want autonomy. It's something we have or maybe something we have unresolved because we didn't have autonomy. I wasn't allowed to have any say in what was served for dinner. And I'm not saying my kids have a say. Actually, they do now. I'm like, what do you guys want? Because I don't want to cook. Just tell me what you'd like me to make. <laughs> my kids, you know, because they do eat a variety of things now. But I didn't have any say. And I felt like I, that's how it should be. You know, that, well, eat what I made. And you, you're going to like it or you're going to wear it. Oh, my gosh, I'm having flashbacks to my childhood. Um, <laughs> like, these are the messages, right, that I took into parenting. And a lot of us, like, when we start digging deeper into food rules, that's one of the other principles of intuitive eating. What happens is you identify these things you've believed have just been the way it's always been. But they're not the way you want to live. They're not serving you. They're causing a disconnect between you and your kids, you and your own body. And when you try on, and that's all I'm suggesting, listen to this episode and try on. Try on not calling your kids picky eaters and see what happens when you let go of the expectation. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I totally agree on, you know, not labeling our child. Words have energy. I love that, you know, you say that she or he has preferences. And the word that I use in, in my house with my kids is that they're very selective. They know what they want. Yeah, you know? that's a great, that's a great word. They're very they selective. They're I very, like that. They're selective and, you know, they have their preferences. They know what they want. And so I don't have to worry about that they're going to give in to people pleasing or, you know, they're not going to know what they don't like and they're not going to just eat or do just because somebody else likes it. Right? Yes. And yes. It, I mean, think about the bigger picture. That's what you're saying. Right. Like, what if they're not the kid who falls to peer pressure later? That's so good. I like right. <laughs> so like my older one and both of my kids are, are selective with food. My older one, he's 12. He's more selective than my little one. I never gave him options. And I initially, you know, of course, as a new mom, like, you know, that's what I was taught. That's what I knew. If he only ate one thing, I would just keep giving him that one thing. And I like how you said, you know, having a palate, like just keep it on the on, on the plate. Keep reintroducing. If the child doesn't want to eat, doesn't want to eat. It's in the plate. When they feel like they want to eat, they'll eat it. There's a book and it talks about food platter. And so the author says, I don't recall the book name, but the author says that, you know, with kids, you know, when they're selective, all you do is, you know, you give them two or three, whatever meal that you made, the options, and it's in the plate. And then you don't tell them what they need to eat. They will eat what they want to eat based on what's served. And that's what the options are. So, and I, we've made that mistake in my household too. Like whatever food we made, 
the child doesn't want that thing and they want us to make something else. And so my mother-in-law used to make it specifically like, okay, you know, even if she had to cook four meals, she will do it. And I said, that's, that is also not, you know, what we're doing. Like I am not given in. And so one of the things that I've started doing is every Sunday we sit, you know, I sit with kids and they get to decide what we're eating for. You know, I give them options like, okay, I need five lunch ideas. I need five dinner ideas, five breakfast ideas, five snacks ideas. And then, you know, if they come up with something good, if, you know, if they come up with something, then it's good. If they don't, then I give my suggestions and then we write it down. So I involve them in creating what we're eating next week. So that's number one. And then the second thing is my, my little one's five. So of course, it's possible that he decided that day that I'm going to eat rice and curry on Wednesday. But when the Wednesday rolled around, the rice and curry is on the dinner table and he doesn't want that. I just want, you know, I just want noodles. I don't want this. So my mother-in-law would get out. I was like, all right, relax. We're going we're gonna to do this together. And I said, I understand that you love noodles. We'll think about putting that noodles in our menu next week because this week you already made the plan. Remember, you made the plan. You told that you want to eat rice and curry. So this is rice and curry, but you try it. If you don't want to eat it, that's okay. It's right here. So that's another thing too, like, because I love that idea of, you know, keeping a couple of options open too for kids. But at the same time for me, it didn't work out because then they were asking, you know, different, different foods and my mother and I, we all lived together. So she would just get up and she would cook. And that's also, I didn't want that to happen because once they grow, grow up and they go out and they don't get choice, then what? You know, I also wanted them to learn to adjust a little bit as well, according to the situation. And, you know, if that's something, you know, they can do it right. According to their body, their needs, whatever. And so I also wanted to make sure that they learn to adjust. And, you know, work it out that they created the plan. That's why I involved them in the plan. For me, I know that it's not feasible to make three meals. Oh, gosh, no. Oh, my God. If I had the time and energy and even desire to do it, fantastic for everybody involved. But that doesn't seem realistic. But there's almost always cereal. There might be cheese and crackers. And it really was a lot when they were younger. I, I don't notice it as much. There's sometimes I'll have food that they're not as interested in. But I have involved them, you know, with with the planning. And you're right. They might still show up to the day and be like, pass. And that's okay, too. I'm also, I mean, I'm not changing my whole world around and keeping the kitchen going on and on. But we're not inserting guilt or shame. And we're not restricting in any way. You know, what we're doing is gentle teaching and gentle guiding in those moments as well which has a huge impact. It's a different message than you eat it or you get nothing at all. That's a very different message That's, than what yeah. you're sharing. Right, right. No, for sure. Like, you know, they have, they have, okay, yeah, I get it that you want to eat noodles. You know, we'll make it next time. So this is, this is what we have. Or if you don't want, then this is another option. So these are the two options, you know, you can pick and choose what fits your body. And it always works. And it has lessened the tantrums in my house. So that and you works. Know, you know what you're doing in that as well is perceived restriction can cause a whole slew of issues, especially in our adult brain. It's like even perceived restriction. And what you're saying is this is in the plan. The noodles <laughs> are in the plan. You know that as adults, we need to let, like work on perceived restriction. 
Because when, again, we believe we can't have something, you know, we believe we can't have it, what happens to us? Like our stress level, our overwhelm around food, and then how we feel when the, when the noodles are finally there. You feel out of control, right? With that perceived restriction. You even settled that part in his brain that there is no restriction. And again, I'm using that word, not that he would necessarily view it that way, but that's really what has happened to us over time before we've healed our relationship with food is we've had perceived restriction. Well, I can't have that. I can't have what I want. You know, so, I mean, you're taking it in such a beautiful, beautiful way with your kids, which is so refreshing to hear, but so different. Like we said, like what we heard, you know, mm -hmm. is the messaging right. around the dinner table. Right. I am so glad, Jen, like, you know, you have brought so many good ideas on the table to for us to discuss right now. To me, this I actually never, never thought of that as a perceived restriction. So thank you for teaching me, you know, I'm walking away with that new word in like in a, a new concept in a way. It makes sense. Yes, that's what you're saying. Like, you know, you're right. But I never thought of it that way, that that's what I'm doing. So I appreciate that. This was amazing. Like I can just go and ask you more questions and questions. I have like so much that I want to ask. But before we let you go, I would love it to know, because you mentioned a few times that, you know, you work with moms and, you know, you you work you help them with the whole mindset and intuitive eating. If you can tell us a little bit about like, what do you do, you know, and how do you help and where can my people, you know, where can parents find you? Yes, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I hang out on Instagram. So if you want to come find me, <laughs> it's Jennifer underscore intuitive eating life. So that's where I am. I'm posting all the things, speaking all the things, calling diet culture out for sure. And every so often you might see a kiddo of mine <laughs> appear. <laughs> but the way I work with women, the majority of it is in a group setting. And I'll tell you why I do it that way. It's the nodding of the heads effect. So what happens in a group setting when you're walking through this intuitive eating journey and healing your relationship with food and your body, you can feel so alone. Diet culture is really, really good at keeping us isolated, feeling shame and guilt. And what I found was even the women I was working with one-on-one, -on -one, which I do on occasion still work one-on-one -on -one with women, they wanted the community because they were feeling like, okay, Jen gets it, but they still felt a little alone. So I created this group space and there's the, the literally the nodding of the head effect. And that's the feedback I get every single week from women is, I'm so grateful that there's other women out there who get what I'm going through, who get the struggle who get the wins even, who get the, like, how amazing it is when things are different. You know, they get both sides of that. I actually just had that happen recently where something had happened and they brought it to the group chat that we have in there and they were able to just support one another. I'm there too, but for them to feel so connected and the words were, I'm so glad I have this space because other people don't get it. I really know personally how isolating diet culture can be, or when you feel guilt and shame, like those are isolating emotions. So what I create is a space that is completely welcoming. We focus on having a lot of self-compassion, no matter what, and that everything that happens, we learn from. So that's how I work with women. I do work with women, a lot of moms, uh, and moms with kids of all ages, but you don't have to be a mom <laughs> to work with me. It just happens to be, I'm a mom, and I know that that speaks heart to heart to other moms. 
I mean, if anyone could see me right now while you were saying, I had such a big smile on my face. Because just, you know, just hearing how you're supporting moms, because like you said, it is very isolating, specifically when you're, when you're a mom. Yeah, you love food, but then, you know, there's a lot of shame coming around from outside and, you know, you want to work. And it's just like, instead of I want to work, it's like I have to work on it kind of, a, you know, kind of a mindset. And when you are supporting them to shift that whole paradigm and taking the mindset from number game to like, you know, to eat what you like and just work on yourself and like mindset, that's just amazing. And I and I love that what you just said, like, you know, how one of the moms said, like, you know, that you get it because we don't get that space. And so for those of you who are listening to us, you know, follow along Jen and her journey. And yeah, there is a lot of laugh too. Just, I don't know, you didn't say that anything about that, but it's, I love watching your stories and once in a while, you know, how you're showing the food and you involve your kids and everything. And I also love the pep talks that you give out some, you know, some days and your, the board messages are really <laughs> awesome too. <laughs> I, my Sunday felt board. I had no idea that it would be so popular on Instagram, but y'all come for the Sunday felt board, stay for the ridiculous reel, come for me calling out diet culture. I have a podcast as well. If, if women love podcasts and want to add another one, the intuitive eating mama, that's me. I put that on there as well. I'm here to speak truth, but also bring some joy. Like food can be fun and it can be enjoyable again. It doesn't have to come with a side of guilt or shame. And you can feel comfortable in your body. Well, thank you so much for that message. I really needed to hear that. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you, Jen. And, you know, thank you for sharing everything. Like, I think I'm going to have to listen to this episode twice maybe three times just because there were so many things that hit home to me what I've been through and you know what I have seen and what I'm unsubscribing so thank you again like just can't wait <laughs> to thank for you. everyone else to listen to us <laughs> thank you so much for having me this was such a great discussion that's it for this week's episode of Race to Rise. Be sure to sign up to our email list at risewithmetal.com and join us again next time for more wisdom about life, kids, and everything in between. I am Mital Patel wishing you happy raising and rising. Rise.